couple of shakes, November uh, 20th, so almost a year, uh, we officially kind of became our own functioning or dysfunctioning church. And um, it's hard to believe that year is really, it's really flown by. There have been moments where it dragged on. I thought that we'd never make it. Uh, But then there are also moments where everything just sort of went by like a blur. But one of the things that, that has happened over the course of this year is God is very has shown us in a very real way just how faithful he is. Um, as of Friday, we had, we've officially raised $63,000 that put us in this space. We were able to keep our expenses down to just over $69,000, which is, I mean, it's unbelievable. It's beyond, uh, it's beyond expectation for this little community. And that's above and beyond all the ways that this community has stayed faithful to their pledged giving and their ability to really make this church or help this church accomplish its mission. Our desire to love much and love well as we take the gospel into the one, into the city, and the world. But we're coming up on that time again where it's time for us to start dreaming and thinking about 2013. You may remember last fall I preached through our vision as a church talking about uh, our heartbeat for worship space, for Vine Kids, for mission, and for community. And we've really um, done three of those things really well. We've worked really hard on those things, trying to get our, our, our heartbeat for mission and our giving and local support and, and, and partnering with global kind of uh, partners. Uh, we hired a Vine Kids director, and Stephanie is doing incredible things on a really part-time basis for us. I mean, she loves and has a passion for our kids. Um, we found... By the Lord's grace, this worship space that's allowing us to do some things like have Bible studies here and do our Hello November parties and invite people from the neighborhood and really go out from here and live that well. The last piece of the sort of our Vision 2012 puzzle is really community. And over the next couple of months, we're going to be revamping and, and revitalizing our life group community system and adding in things like journey groups and opportunities for people to connect and do more than what happens here on Sunday. And that's on our radar and we're working towards that. And there's going to be a lot of new things that happen in a couple of months. But as we think about that vision and we think about 2013, God has really captivated my heart with a, with a couple of thoughts. We know that 2013 is going to be a really interesting year um, because we have a rent for this space um, that is going to leverage our little community a little bit. And we knew that going in. Your leaders knew that going in. We, we believed that, that God was going to use this as an opportunity for us to take the gospel into the world. And so we went for it. So financially, it's got its, its interesting moments. But more so, I think what God is going to be doing over the next really 12 months for us is challenging this community to really investigate and talk about what it means to be part of a church. And, and my heartbeat um, is that what it's going to take is the whole of this community going all in. And, and the reason I've created that, con- I didn't really create it, but the reason I landed on that concept was I was reading Ephesians chapter 5 the other day, and, and Paul is looking at this group of gathered believers in Ephesus, and it's made up of all kinds of crazy people, from people that lived on this side of town and on that side of town, people that were Jewish and were Gentiles, people that had issues and that didn't have issues. I mean, they are a wild collection of people. And the one thing he mentioned to him in chapter 5, he's talking about this. Look, we come from all these different places, but there is, there's one faith, one Lord, one hope, one baptism, one truth, one church. He's basically saying all those things that we bring together, um, the way, all these backgrounds, they all come to the same central point in that there is one Jesus, one gospel, and one life together. And really, our heartbeat as a church for 2013 is understanding that for this church to not only function but carry its mission well, it's going to take the whole of its community going all in. And you may, you may vote this way, you may like this kind of music, but what matters is that we're all in under the banner of the gospel. And so last year, you may remember, I got up and I preached and talked about money, and we talked about how we're going to need to give, and we threw budget numbers out there and all that. And this year, I'm going to approach things a little bit differently for the next four weeks. We're going to be, instead of, I'm going to keep teaching through Philippians, we're just going to kind of keep going through that. And I'm going to invite you all, 
uh, to come up and share and talk about why you have gone all in uh, for this church and this community, what it is that God has done in you. This pledge card is not for you to do anything with today. Take it home, stick it in your Bible. Um, We want you to begin to pray over it and think about what it would look like for you to go all in. And not just financially, but really with your life. Hey, I'm going to engage in mission this year. I'm going to give down to our kids. I'm going to serve on a hospitality team. Or I'm going to come here and I'm going to love some people. I'm going to disciple somebody. I'm going to put my whole heart in. But to take this home and pray over it and begin to think about what life looks like for you uh, and this church in 2013. And then on December 2nd, a um, few weeks from now, we're going to all bring them together as part of our worship experience and offer them to the Lord. So hang on to that. But what I've done today is I've asked Rob to come up and share with us a little bit. And I chose Rob um, mainly because I've had an incredible experience with Rob this year, watching God do things in his heart, move in him, and challenge him in ways uh, that he's going to talk about this morning that I think have not only stretched him, but will stretch all of us. Um, and Rob is really a picture of someone to me that has said, hey, look, imperfections and all, I said yes to Jesus, and I, I kind of want to put my heart all into this. I'm really grateful that Rob is going to share with us today, and we're going to be hearing from people over the next few weeks that have chosen to kind of say, hey, look, here's the deal. For this church, I'm going all in. Rob, why don't you come tell your story? Is this working? morning. All right. So um, I, I did this at the first service and now I'm doing it again and, and I, there's no way I can completely do it the same way and so I'll probably start out a little bit differently. Those of you who heard it the first time, it'll sound mostly the same just so you know. Um, but I'll try and hit the high points. Uh, Trev asked me uh, earlier this week, uh, he left some really cryptic messages saying, hey, I've got a proposition for you. I've got a, and I thought it had to do with like, you know, running the projector, or doing computer stuff or whatever. Um, but he wouldn't tell me in the voicemail, and then I finally talked to him. I finally talked to him, and, and, and he, he told me about what we've been discussing, this all-in concept, which is really something that we've been talking about collectively as a community now for a long time. And I've come to learn that going all-in is not some one single act where you're like, oh, yeah, fine, I'm all-in, does whatever you need. Uh, it's a, it's for, at least for me, it's a process, and it's something that I've had to um, gradually get to, but it's something that I find more and more rewarding the deeper that I go. And so um, I wasn't totally sure how I was going to introduce all this uh, this morning. I didn't really know until I started driving here, and I thought, well, I need to get into a, an attitude of worship and prayerfulness and all those things. And I put on um, I put on this uh, particular album that I really like that kind of leads me to you know, think in a particular way about this, because I knew that of all the moments that I've had this year, the one where I felt the culmination of this idea of giving myself over and, and making myself available, going all in for God, and not, not, not spending all my time analyzing it and questioning it and just killing it, was when I had the opportunity to go to Guatemala this year. And so for those of you um, who are here today who I went on that trip with, um, I think you can kind of understand what I'm talking about. And one of the specific moments, which I know I wrote about on our our trip blog, was uh, the second day that we were there, um, Trev had had kind of told us beforehand that we're going to have a lot of, you know, know, manual labor and these types of things to do. But I don't think I totally knew what that meant. Uh, But I found myself literally pushing a wheelbarrow up full of rocks giant, they they get bigger every time I tell the story, but um, huge boulders up Mount Everest-like slopes. But it was pretty steep, you know, you can vouch for that. And if I'd been told in advance that I was going to be doing that, I probably would have 
come down with a cold or like, oh, I just, don't, I, you know, I'm allergic to Guatemala. I can't go. Um, but I really did give over to that spirit of saying, you know what? Um, I'm submitting myself to Christ and saying, whatever you need me for. And sometimes it's those little things. It's, it's pushing a wheelbarrow up a mountain to clear rocks out or something like that. But that was my favorite moment of the year, specifically because I remember at one point in the middle of it, I had gone up and down a few times, and I remember how much my legs hurt, my back hurt, and suddenly feeling this cool air and this sense of peace, and and I know this, I feel I've, God's always around us, like I've always believed that, like God's everywhere, you know, he's here, he's there, he's everywhere, it's like Dr. Seuss, but um, that's my theological analogy, um, but I really do have the sense that Christ shows up in what, Christ makes himself more known at, at certain times, you know, than he does at others for us to affect us in a certain way. And when I, I remember a moment where I suddenly felt this incredible peace and I felt Christ next to me, and it wasn't a real somber, ah, moment. It was more of a, a joyful God, you know, Christ putting his, his hand on my shoulder and laughing and smiling and saying, look what you're doing right now. You, you're a software geek and you're pushing this up the mountain for me because you've shown some faith. And isn't this great? And, and it was. It was tremendous. And so as I, as I wanted to try and tie all that back to something biblical this morning, I wasn't sure how I was going to do it. And I, and I alluded earlier to the fact that I put, put on this record this morning, and, or actually in my car. I don't have a record player in my car. That'd be awesome. But um, I have an iPod. And um, there's, this album, um, there's this album by this artist named Sufjan Stevens, who's like, a, he's like some indie rock guy, but he's, he's a Christian, and he made a particular album called Seven Swans, which has 12 songs, and all 12 of them are directly taken from the Bible, um, you know, specific references, some more obscure than others, and different stories, and the first track on that album is called All the Trees of the Field Will Clap Their Hands, which I, I you know, I didn't really know what that was about. I thought that that sounded like really weird, like trees clapping and hands, and that sounded cool. When I looked it up years ago, um, I found out that it was from the book of Isaiah, and this has become now my favorite verse in the Old Testament. And it, it, it's Isaiah fifty-five twelve, and it reads simply this, and this really ties back to this idea of going all in. It says, For you shall go out in joy and be led back in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall burst into song, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. And that's the kind of joyous peace that I felt on that mountain and that I connect to every time I find ways to make myself a little more uncomfortable, whether it's with my resources or with my time, and I'm, I'm not all the way there yet, and there's so much more I can be doing, but I at least know that I'm on that journey with this community, and I love that. And I'll leave you with, you know, the actual, you know, part of the lyrics of that song that really tie back to this idea of, of giving yourself over in that particular way. Um, when he was inspired by Isaiah 55, 12, um, Sufjan Stevens wrote these lyrics. And if you ever have a chance to listen to this record, it's amazing. But he said, and I am joining all my thoughts to you, and I'm preparing every part of you. And I heard from the trees a great parade, and I heard from the hills a band was made. And will I be invited to the sound? And will I be a part of what you've made? And I'm throwing all my thoughts away, and I'm destroying every bet I've made. And I'm joining all my thoughts to you, and I'm preparing every part for you. The idea being that everything that I've done in my life, where I try to manipulate things and create my own, you know, path, my own knowledge, and, and trying to, you know, 
get things the way that I believed that I wanted them. It never seemed to work. But the more I began to just let go, the more I began to understand where I really am in this world and to understand that anything that I have and any effort that I have to be able to give is merely something that God has given me to hand over to him in his work. I cannot explain the peace that I find from that and the peace that I'm rooted in in this community because of the philosophy that, that Treb and this community has on that. And, I'm, and I know that I can do more, and I'm looking forward to it, and I'm looking forward to doing all of that with you. Thank you. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. In Rob's defense, there was a real, it really was a huge hill. And we still really, I don't really remember the purpose, but there was just moving stuff up and down. And, and it seemed to be the case all the time in Guatemala. We would go and do things because the orphanage we were working in would say it needed to be done. And we didn't ask a whole lot of questions. We just did it. And there were those moments where at one point in time, in the second part of our trip, we would take buckets full of sand. They're building a wall. We'd wheel them down there. And then we'd come back with buckets full of kids. They want to ride. And so all the way up the sand and back with kids. And, and I remember spending the whole day going, man, God, there are moments here, like Rob was describing, where God shows up and he just says, when you give everything to me, when you lay it all out for me, I will show you joy that is beyond your expectations. And really, part of that segues very well into what we're doing. And I'm going to do this really quick today because we had all these other things going on in worship. Um, uh, but we're going to wrap up the last part of Philippians chapter 1, just four verses. And I'm going to try and do it very quickly because it segues very intentionally from what Rob was saying into where we're going. Because part of what happens when we look at our life, we understand that, more, that life is more than just about drawing a breath and saying, God, I, I exist here. I'm taking up space. I hold a job to provide for my family. But when we truly begin to understand obedience and joy and surrender and sacrifice, like Paul's going to talk about in this letter to the church in Philippi, we're going to understand that there's more to living than drawing breath. That whether we're facing life or death, when we live in obedience and surrender, we can truly understand what it means to be alive. So for the past two weeks... We have been looking at this through the lens of perspective. We've chopped up part of chapter 1, and we've looked at it through the idea of perspective, having an eternal perspective. Two weeks ago, we talked about what it takes to kind of see life with an eternal perspective. And then last week, we talked about what it means to really live out that eternal perspective. And Paul's going to wrap all that up kind of nice and neat. And I'm going to skip the uh, sort of, this is what we did last week, so that we can dive right into the text. If you want to hear it, it's on the website. I encourage you to do that. But Paul's going to sew those thoughts up with a backdrop of perspective, with a couple of small, um, really deep theological ideas um, that really kind of put a bow tie on some of this. And so he's going to move into a total new thought next week on chapter 2. Now remember, the chapter and numbers in your Bible, they didn't exist when Paul wrote it. Those are all things we've added. But uh, this is actually a really clean break in thought. And so we're going to wrap it up today and pick up chapter 2 next week. If you've got your Bible, I want you to grab it to, and move it to Philippians chapter 1. Um, if you don't have one, you can use that one right there in front of you. We'd love for you to use it. Um, we're going to be in verse 27, and we're going to look at the last four verses very briefly, uh, very simply this morning um, as we try and kind of tie up a few of these loose ends from the past couple of weeks. So if you've got that, got your page turned there, let's take a moment, let's pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll open it up together. God, I thank you for Rob. I thank you for his willingness to stand up here and, and talk about you. Lord, it's one thing to... To say I'd like to do that, it's another thing to actually get up here and uh, be vulnerable in front of people and, and talk about what you're doing in their lives. And I'm grateful for, for Rob and for his heart. And Lord, for the next few weeks as we really explore what it means for this church to kind of say, God, I'm all in. Everything that I am is for you. And what would it look like if we did that together? God, I pray that you would continue to shape that in us. 
Lord, as we open your word today, I pray that you would teach us something new about you, that you would kind of change our thinking a little bit, reorient us, um, teach us about your character. Take a moment in your own life, in your own heart, and just pray that God would, would teach something to you today. Just ask that God would, would teach you something about his character. Pray for someone beside you, in front of you. Maybe you don't know their name. Uh, Maybe you've never seen them before. Just pray for them. Uh, Be in the habit of, as I say every week, praying for other people. Lord, we pray that you would use your word to change our lives. We don't say that lightly. Um, God, move in us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul's going to wrap up this uh, chapter of Philippians, or really his thought in Philippians with these four verses. And there's a couple of things that I'll just sort of draw out of here, but they're, they're really important because they're actually deep theological ideas that if we really pay close attention to, will really kind of mess up your life a little bit. So I want you to hang on to them because um, these are things that we're going to be revisiting over the course of the next weeks as we move through Philippians. But this is what, what Paul says, and, and he's basically reminding the, the church that, look, Life is really hard. Persecution was very real for this church, even for all the new believers. I mean, every day you woke up was a day you might die because you called yourself a believer in Christ. And part of what Paul was doing, riding from prison, having gone through the five years of struggle that he's gone through, the imprisonments and the shipwrecks and and the near-death experiences, all those things to say, look, like we talked about last week, I don't know if I'm going to die or if I'm going to live. But I know this, whatever I do, I want Jesus to be exalted in me. And he's passing that torch to the Philippians saying, look, life is going to be hard. You're going to face some crazy struggles. But what I want you to understand is that no matter what happens, this is what I want you to hear. And he says this, verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way because of those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed and that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So there's a couple of things I really want you to pay attention to this morning as we kind of quickly and simply move through this. Paul's saying, look, life is going to get pretty complicated. Look at me. For the past five years as a Christ follower, I've been arrested. I've been put on trial. I've been shipwrecked. I'm now in in prison in Rome awaiting to stand before Caesar knowing that I'm probably facing a death sentence. He's saying life is going to throw you all kinds of things. Now, whatever happens as a church, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of of the gospel. Now, there's a couple of things here that I want you to pay attention to because I think there's a word for the church here and I also think there's a word if we take it a little bit, set the context aside, apply it to our life, there's a, there's a word for you and a word for me. But the word for the church is really interesting to me because you've got to remember Paul is not writing this as a happy high five. Hey, whatever happens, you know, conduct yourself, be good, be nice, be kind. Someone, they, they say something bad to you, you smile. You know, he's not really talking about that sort of, hey, when people treat you bad, tell them it's okay and turn the other cheek. He's not saying, look, when life hard, just be joyful, which is sometimes what we think it means to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, that, hey, look, I'm not going to get mad at people, I'm not going to give anybody the bird, I'm not going to be a really good kid, you know, I'm going to do things right. But Paul's not really saying that at all. He's actually talking about something different. Look at those following two verses. He says, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel, and you want to know what this looked like? 
He says this, whether I come to you now or only hear about you, meaning if I get out of jail and I can make it to you to be an encouragement, or whether I die here, right? No matter which one of those things happen, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. He's saying you want to know as a church what it looks like, as the church, what it looks like to conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. It can be wrapped up in one word, and that word is unity. He says that you would stand as one man, contending as one person for the faith of the gospel. And I find this really interesting because it seems like an odd word here. But Paul knows something really important. And he knows this, that when suffering and trials come, right? And when they face the church and when the church hits obstacles, the first thing a church does is look to take care of itself. Every man for himself or every woman for himself or every category for themselves or every church for themselves, when the budgets don't make, when things don't happen right, when pastor says things you don't like to hear, when things go awry, when this kind of uh, scandal happens, whatever it is, it's maintenance at all costs. It's remember the fact that we've got to take care of this. We have to maintain ourselves or, or we've got to grab what's ours. And the church begins, much like we do in our own lives, to grab itself and say, I've got to protect this. And Paul's going, look, you're going to face some pretty crazy opposition, some pretty crazy struggles. So when it does happen, conduct yourself in a manner that's about unity, that there is one church and that you are the one person fighting for the gospel. Because Paul knew that when all of a sudden it got crazy, it was going to be real easy to run for the hills. And I had a great example of this. You've got to understand that I was raised and I worked in a church settings for the past 17 years and raised as a follower of Christ in church settings that were, and, I, and I'm not being negative, I'm just being honest, that were focused on themselves. That if you didn't fit into our understanding of church, our denominational lines, and you used these words, we didn't consider you really as part of our giving structure or life structure. We were focused here. And really we were focused here to make sure that we had the numbers that we had. We had the budget we needed. We took care of our own first. And then out of our excess and abundance, the churches would give when they could. But if you didn't wear the same denominational tags, then we just found reasons why we didn't agree with what you did. Now, it sounds harsh, but a lot of us have lived in categories like that, right? You grew up Baptist, and so you thought this about this, or you grew up uh, Presbyterian, you thought this about that, or Methodist, and so you thought whatever it was. I received a letter on Wednesday that sort of reminded me of a much bigger call um, this Wednesday, I went to our mailbox. The church has a mailbox over at the little packing ship because that's where we keep our mail. And um, I went there, and there was a letter in the mail addressed to me from John Reiner. And John is a associate pastor of discipleship at Our Lord's Community Church, something like this. And I meant to bring it and have since left it on my counter. But I'll give you the gist. It says, Dear Pastor Treb, um, I want to let you know that our Lord's Community Church is extremely excited about what God is doing with the vine. Now, keep in mind, I've never met John. A couple of years ago, John is a friend with Don, and he came and preached for us one Sunday when I was gone, but I've never met him, and that was years ago. And uh, he says, our Lord's Community Church is so excited about what God is doing with the vine. We heard you're moving into a new space. We want to let you know that not only are we praying for you, but we want to be a part of what God is doing as you take the gospel into your neighborhood. We've enclosed a check for $500 to let you know that we believe that what you're doing is kingdom-oriented, and that God, God, we want God to basically go with you kind of deal. So, Now, I, I grew up in a system where we wouldn't give money away. I mean, if you came and asked for it, we'd get our mission team together, group people, and they'd talk about it, and we'd probably kind of go, well, 500 is a little much. Maybe we can give them 250 now and then 250 in May or, you know, whatever. But if you came and asked, we would talk about it. But never was it in our DNA to sit down and go, hey, did you hear there's a church going in down there? Man, and they are, they are talking about, we should give them some money. They probably need it. 
We didn't live that way. And what I was reminded of this week was this idea of unity. We're not in the same denominational structures, some denominational lines, but we are under the banner of Christ. And there's a church that somehow knew that we loved Jesus and wanted to be a part of that. And I was really moved because that's the church I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of a church that says, man, if, if, if we are together under the banner of the gospel, then let's support and love and give to each other. I don't really care what you think about dancing. I don't really care what you think about this. What I care about is that you love Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying. And, and he's using the word unity, not like we use it in our culture, which is like inclusiveness. Like, you know, whatever you believe, whatever I believe, we're all one. It's unifying. No, that's not really what Paul's saying. I'm saying we're under the banner of the gospel, the banner of Christ. There is one church. I received another letter a few years back from a local church here um, <clears throat> that was sent a mass letter out to all the churches in the area that said, when I was uh, working over at Westminster, that sent a letter out that said, Dear fellow colleagues, and it was from a pastor, our church is starting a new service. We would like you to send us any members that are on the fringe of your roles, right, so that we can have a successful launch for our new service and facility. And I thought to myself as I read that letter, Really? So we're not going to go around up our own business. We're just going to take yours that's not really working out and have them come over here. No phone call. No, let's partner with you. Just send us your people. You don't really come there anymore. And I thought to myself, you know, part of this idea is that's what we do. We compete with each other. Churches in this community have a hard time growing because they're just stealing members from other churches. We're not out advancing the kingdom and leading new people to Christ and making churches made up of new believers. We're just grabbing each other's disenchanted people and saying, fill our place because they didn't offer this over there and we happen to offer this. I'm not interested in that. If you're coming here just because you don't like what so-and-so is doing over there, ask yourself why you don't like it. Right? What is it? Is it that they don't have something to offer you? I promise we don't have anything better to offer. I can guarantee you that. So if you didn't find it there, you ain't going to find it here. Right? But unity. The second thing that I see there is really a word for, for us. And, and if you take away the context for a moment, the context of Paul writing to the church, and you really just look at that face value, Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. If you really think about this verse and you try and memorize it, or now you may not be able to forget it, it will mess up your life. Because every situation, no matter what kind of hardship, what kind of difficulty, what kind of celebration or joy or triumph, what kind of day you've had at work, what kind of job loss, what kind of financial stress, what kind of any, anything, whatever happens, doesn't matter what it is, conduct yourself in a manner that brings glory to Christ. That means the person that cuts you off on the way to church. It means when your husband forgets to take out the trash, when your kids absolutely blow it. When all those things happen, the language that you use, the way that you speak to people, everything that you do, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. This one messes me up because I don't want to do that. I don't want to think that way. But what Paul's saying is if you're going to have an eternal perspective and you're going to live with an eternal perspective, it has to pour out of you at all times. So stop and ask yourself this, am I really bringing glory to Christ? With the way that I just spoke to you, the way that I just treated you, what I'm doing at work, am I really doing that? I'd love to spend more time there, but I'm going to move on real quick. We're going to wrap up. Uh, verse 29, I want you to hear this. This is a deep theological truth, and I don't want you to miss it, and I wish I had a ton of time to explain it, but I'm just going to briefly brush over it. But I promise you, this is something we're going to revisit because it's really powerful. Verse 29, Paul says this, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only believe in him, but also to suffer for him. But it has been granted or given to you, not only the ability to believe on him, right, but the ability to suffer for him. What that means is this, and what he's telling the Philippian church is this. 
both faith and suffering are gifts from the Lord. Now hang on to that for just a minute because I want to visit, visit about it. Because at first glance it sounds a little crazy. But faith is a gift from the Lord. Suffering is a gift from the Lord. We know that faith is not something that we just stumble across. Faith is not a result of uh, some kind of human movement or human condition. You didn't find your way to the Lord. If you read scripture, you will realize that it's the Holy Spirit who reveals truth to us. No amount of your doing or your moving or your reading or your understanding is ever going to get you to a place where you understand God and believe in him. What's going to end up happening is that God draws you to him because God takes, initiate, he takes the initiative, if you will, with creation. He draws us. Scripture's full of this. My favorite is John 6, where Jesus is talking to a whole bunch of Pharisees. And they're really mad at him because he just called himself the bread of life and the only way to eternal life. And they're furious. And he looks at them and he says this. He says, you can't come to me, right? No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. Meaning that you will not be able to access eternal life, access truth, until the Father who sent me here draws you. Meaning it's God who moves in us. I was talking with, about, with Rob downstairs and he reminded me of this. And I've been telling, I probably told this a dozen times here, but it's still true. I took a philosophical theology class in seminary and I, it was a mess. But the professor um, that, that, was, that taught that class, who I have colossal issues with still to this day, said one thing that will forever change the way I think about stuff. And he had a double PhD, smart as a whip, studied all the greatest minds, Diltash, Lyermarker, played all these things, read everything there is to read. And one thing he said in class that I'll remember forever is he said this, look, I've studied every, the great, all the greatest minds. I've read everything they have to offer. And I've studied scripture backwards and forwards, and I've come to one real truth, and that is this. There is a God, and my rational mind did not land on that. And what he meant was this, is that I realized that in all those things, God is real, and I didn't figure that out on my own, meaning that God reveals that. And it always sort of stuck with me because it's God who reveals. So faith, your faith, your ability to believe, as Paul says, has been granted or given to you. So it is a gift. The fact that you are in this place is a gift. The fact that God is giving you the ability to know him is a gift. But listen to what Paul says. Not only is that a gift, but do you know that suffering is a gift as well? Suffering has been granted to you as well. Now we know that Paul says this all the time because he counted such a blessing to suffer for the Lord. Every time Paul went to prison or was beaten, he'd always come out like clapping, Ooh, best day ever. I don't know what that guy's doing. That is crazy. I don't feel that way at all. But Paul, every moment when he suffered, when he was beaten, when he came out singing, he counted an incredible joy to suffer for God. Now, I don't operate that way. I don't want to live in that kind of struggle. I want relief for my life now. But what scripture says is this. When we suffer, when we suffer, it's actually a gift from the Lord. And it's not the suffering itself. It's not the hurt. It's not the pain. It's not the tragedy. But it's the opportunity that lies there within. Remember when, we, if you all that were coming, you remember we studied the book of James last spring. We went through it verse by verse by verse by verse. James chapter 1. James is teaching this gathered group of people, and he's writing these letters, and he says this. He says, listen, brothers, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. When the testing of your faith delves perseverance, and perseverance leads to maturity. What James is saying is this, look, when you face trials and difficulties and sufferings and hurts, consider it joy, right? Because what's happening is that God is growing you and maturing you. He's giving the opportunity to grow in him. See, suffering itself is not necessarily the gift. It's not a gift to be diagnosed with some awful disease, or it's not a gift to have to walk through a, a wrecked marriage, or it's not a gift to have to lose a job. That in itself is not the gift. But what God has given us the ability to do is in the moment of those struggles, to meet him in a very radical and very real way and grow and mature in Christ. Faith 
and suffering are gifts. And what Paul's saying to this church of Philippi is, look, life is going to get real hard, I can promise you that. You're going to come to a place where one day you have to decide if you're going to live for Christ. And it's not going to be easy. And you're going to wake up one day and go, I just want all of this gone. I don't want to deal with it. And Paul says, but in the middle of those moments, to suffer is actually a chance to know Christ more. Whatever you're walking in today, whatever struggle, whatever frustration, whatever marital issue, whatever thing it is, whatever financial issue it is, it's not that that thing is wonderful. It's that God's given us the opportunity in the middle of it to meet him in a very new way and that we can consider it joy because it leads us to maturity, which leads us to Christ. And then finally, lastly, Paul wraps everything up by saying this, verse 30, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now that I still have. Paul says, look, you're not alone. The Philippians are are out there on the easternmost edge of the Roman Empire. There are not any other believers in the town. It's a small house church led by a woman named Lydia, and they're meeting in their home, and there's very few of them, and life is hard. And Paul says, but listen, here's what I want you to understand, is that you are seeing the struggle that I've had. You've watched me over the past five years. You've watched me through prison, writing these letters, visiting you, nearly being killed. You've watched all that. And now as you see this letter, as you read it, I'm still having it. I think one of the most difficult things about suffering is the feeling of loneliness. See, because most of us feel like when we suffer and when we struggle, we are absolutely and totally alone. No one else is going through this because everybody else's lives look so nice on the outside because we don't live with vulnerability. And so we cover our lives, we cover our issues, we patch our marriages together, we fight in the car on the way over, we hold hands on the way up, right? To make sure that everybody thinks that we've got it together. And we sit in this chair over here and we feel radically alone because nobody else seems to be struggling with what we're struggling with. Because the church loves a story of just redemption. They love the story of the person who gets up here and they tell their testimony about how they walk through all these things, but now they are better. But the church doesn't know what to do with the person who walks up and says, I'm a colossal disaster. I'm still a mess. God has brought me from here to there, but I'm still struggling. And I think one of the greatest gifts that Paul's given the church in Philippi is, look, you're not alone. Not only did you see the struggle I'm having, but what does Paul say? I'm still having it. Not, I'm Paul, and I'm better, and I'm fixed, and now you can model everything after my perfection. He's saying, I'm still suffering. I'm stuck in jail, and I'm hurting, and I want to be with you. Whatever you're dealing with today, I can tell you this, you're not alone. Not that other people in here are dealing with it, but that the call of Christ, his very name, Emmanuel, means God with us meaning you're not alone. So whatever kind of loneliness you're battling, whatever kind of frustration you think the world has walked off and left you and God has somehow abandoned you with whatever that is, the ability to trust and the ability to believe is coupled with the ability and gift of suffering. God, show me who you are in the middle of this. I know you didn't leave me. I know you didn't walk out on me. And that's where Paul's going to leave the Philippians as he transitions them into saying, now, here's what it looks like if you truly develop the mind and the life of Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for a very speedy text and for very solid truth. And God, the the reality is that every single one of us at some point in time has dealt with struggle and suffering and trial and temptation. Some of us are walking in the middle of it right now. But the promises that you have are, are the same, which is no matter what that struggle is, whatever that hurt is, whatever that triumph is, whatever that celebration is, whatever life brings, we conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And as a church, we say, God, we want to be under the banner of the gospel, unity. And as individuals, we say, God, we want to bring glory to you. And then, God, we recognize that the ability to believe is not something we landed on, but something you blessed us with. 
and that the suffering and the struggle and the hurt and the issues that we may be facing, God, are also gifts from you because in them we can see you more clearly and we can grow in maturity in Christ. It's not that the pain is good, it's what you do through it. And then God, finally, help us remember today that we're not alone. If we're feeling alone, we are not alone. You have drawn us into a place where you want to shower us with your affection and extravagant love. So God, we pray that we would hear that cry. We would recognize that you walk with us. And that God, loneliness is not the result of suffering. As we close our time in worship, I invite you to stand with us and offer your heart to the Lord. Just to say, God, here I am. For the next few minutes, I lay it out before you. Let's stand together and close our time in worship. Mm -hmm.